everybody. It's Andy Little here from the EM Over Easy podcast, bringing you another session of the Med Student Over Easy podcast, where I'm joined by four amazing friends, Minnell, Brian, Alexis, and Kristen, for this special Med Student Over Easy episode. We're really here talking today about this idea that's brand new, hot off the press, preference signaling in EM applications. So Alexis, before we deep dive into questions, what are we talking about when we bring up preference signaling for the EM applicant? Yeah, so preference signaling or program signaling as the ERA supplemental application calls it is the ability of an applicant to choose five programs to send a signal or a token to sort of like a rose or a love letter at the time of application submission. So the whole idea of this is to allow applicants to really tell those programs their top five programs at the time that they're applying. And in turn, it helps programs know where to focus their attention. As we know, there's been the over-application phenomenon across all specialties over the past 10 years, and it's been very difficult for programs to weed through the applicants and see who is actually truly interested. And this gives them the ability to see who is truly interested in their program. And for the applicant side, it really helps them stand out at certain programs as well. And I just wanted to clarify on that. And just the students get tokens, right? Or the programs do too? Just the students get tokens. So is it bad that as soon as you were explaining this, I thought of the high school carnation drive at Valentine's where I could send anonymous Valentine's to I could send five carnations for $2.50. I'm joking. That's my teenage brain playing a part of this. But Brian, when you think about this, why is this a good idea? I mean, why we need it is something has to be done. The Alex talked about the over-application this past year with our large no matching and openings for the SOAP. There was a lot of duplicate interviewing, a lot of over-applications. If you're a program trying to figure out who to interview, how to avoid cancellations or who to fill in for your last minute cancellations to prioritize for that. And this is just going to help. It's an evidence-based way to help with this difficult process. Just to piggyback off that, I just got an email from the VLSO folks saying that they've had a record number of applications from students this April compared to any other year. So I agree that this problem is going to definitely continue in this next interview cycle and perhaps even one or two after that. So I think this is a really good way to kind of address that spike of over-interviewing and over-applying. So I love that you guys both bring up the over-application I think we all saw this in variations across the country. I know here in Florida, we had the highest non-match rate in the history of our state. And really, it came down to when we unofficially compared lists of who we interviewed, we all interviewed the same 100 people. And so there was a decent chance that with there being 200 spots in Florida, only so many of us were going to get one of those 100 people. And so it's not completely foreign to the idea that some people didn't get anybody. And that's kind of where we ended up with the match list. So Christy, I know over in California, you're an APD, you're actively involved in the recruitment process. What does this kind of do for you and your perspective on looking at applicants? So you make a really excellent point, Andy, in that similar to Florida, California has a pretty solid applicant pool where many of the same applicants are applying to all of the programs in California or many of the programs in California. And we're still trying to figure out what we're going to do with this signaling. One of the things that I think would be helpful for us as a program is to know if an applicant is choosing not to participate in signaling at all for them to be able to signal that to us somehow. So say, for example, you know, they 
gave their rose to us, then did they do the same thing with the five other UC programs that are all going to have some very different things to offer, but they may be interested in all of them. So if I've, I've heard specifically that applicants may consider saying something in their personal statement as to whether they chose to be a part of the, the signaling or not. What do the rest of you think about that? I think personally that students probably shouldn't out themselves, honestly. I think if we're asking applicants and students to do that, I think then all students are going to begin to do that to try to cover their bases, right? So a program can't tell the difference between an applicant not signaling and an applicant not participating in signaling. And that is to protect the applicant, right? And I think if we start creating an additional game out of it, it makes it even more confusing. The whole point of preference signaling and program signaling is to increase transparency in this whole process. We all want to find high yield matches, right? We want to find people who want to be at our program and we want applicants who want to be at those programs to get to those programs. And I think if we're adding this additional way to game the system into it, I think it's really going to take away from the value of the program. And I think one of the things that I keep hearing from applicants is how are programs going to apply this? You know, how will me sending this signal affect it? And I don't know for you, but with my conversations with friends throughout academic emergency medicine, the answer right now is it depends and it's going to be different at each program, at each competitiveness, at each geography I think this brings up a really interesting quandary of, so we're talking about those who send out their five likes and what does a program do if there's an applicant who doesn't signal at all? And again, we won't know if they just chose not to signal or did signal. I guess to me, I think there is some concern that this will also turn into a way to game and ship the program. I think a lot about my experience at doctors with, with mental and then here in Florida where we get a large number of people doing sub eyes. And so while they use that as a non-signal signal and say, well, I came and rotated with you to get a slow, so I'm not going to signal you. I'm going to save those for five other programs. This is a really good idea at the end of the day, but I see that there is a chance for there to be some gaming. To that point of students doing multiple sub-I's, they shouldn't be doing that. So CORD has come out with recommendations. Actually, all of our EM organizations came out with a statement this year stating that students should be completing two emergency medicine rotations. So if you don't have a home rotation, that means two aways. If you do have a home rotation, then it's a home and away. So we did take that into consideration when we were choosing the number of signals and also the rules surrounding those signals for emergency medicine in particular, because again, we didn't want to add additional game to the system. In our recommendations for the EM applicant, we say to work with your actual advisor to decide for those, say, EM subspecialty slows. So if you did PEM, ultrasound, toxicology, whether or not you should signal those programs because they are not considered as one of your freebies. Your freebies are your two EM rotations. So now if those recommendations change in the future, then what we do in EM may need to change in the future as well. And so some other specialties, and actually most other specialties, do not have the role of 
no signaling your home or away program. There's only a couple other specialties of the 16 that are participating in the ERISUP app who say to not signal their home and away. And it's because of this adding additional gaming to the system. So we were specific in how we chose it this year, just because we knew what the advice was going to be from the EM community. But it is a one-year pilot. It is going to be continually reassessed. And there's nothing to say that we can't change the number of signals and the rules surrounding how they are allocated. When you make a good point about that, Alexis, right? We're trying this out, just like a lot of things in emergency medicine. We're willing to pivot. And this is going to be a process that we're all going to learn together. And if we need to change it, we'll change it. 100%. And I'm the first person to say that. I'm putting a lot of time, energy into getting this up and running, but I get no money out of this. I get nothing out of it. I just want it to be a better process for everybody involved. And if it turns out it's not working, we won't do it. And that's totally okay. But if anybody listening gets a survey on you know, what they thought of it and any potential changes that we're thinking about it, please fill it out. Because again, we're trying to make this a better process for everybody, applicants included, and it's totally okay to change and pivot. Yeah, we're nothing if not flexible in emergency medicine. I didn't know if you had anything on the subject of trialing it out. Because I know OB and anesthesia have used this process for a while. Have they had any recommendations or any sort of words of advice for us as a specialty trying this out for the first time? So ENT is the one that has the most experience. They've done it over the past two years. They started with five signals and then went down to four signals just based on their own specialty felt like it was a better way to kind of have the signals distributed. And the data from ENT is really promising. So it helps all applicants across all competitiveness quartiles, but it actually helps our lowest quartile applicants the most with gaining the most visibility. So they had the highest yield in interviews based on their signal allocation, which is really great, right? So we're talking again about us all interviewing the same people, but it's usually the same top 10%, top third people. And some of our middle and lower third students are the ones that are really struggling. This is a great way to even the playing field and to make sure that those applicants are also getting earlier interviews, and hopefully a good number of interviews so that people are matching. Now, as far as the other specialties who have participated, so the ERISUP app just started preference signaling last year. So internal medicine, general surgery, and dermatology participated. And they also participated in the two other components of the ERIS supplemental application, the past experiences section and the geographic preferences section, which we in emergency medicine are not participating in. But of those three sections, all three specialties felt like the preference or program signaling component was the most valuable component of the ERIS sub app. Unfortunately, we don't have any actual outcomes data right now from those specialties. And we're hoping over the summer that we may get a little bit more information. But right now, all we really have is the ENT data. And I think that that's a key point for some of the med student listeners who are concerned, because they're going to talk to their friends who are going into other specialties. And their other specialties are going to talk about that previous experiences section or the geographic section. And For emergency medicine, we are not doing that. So there was a lot of thought put into it. I really wish everyone could see how much time Alexis has put into it and that our committee has put into discussing it. Uh, To be clear, this has come out of the Application Process Improvement Committee, of course. This isn't the Alexis show. (laughs) Oh, it's not the Alexis show? That's good to know. (laughs) It's a great Alexis show. (laughs) 
<laughs> it has been a year long process. It, it wasn't a snap decision that was made as a result of this year's match. It was something that was actually put a lot of thought put into over the past year. And only with the past year match, I think really just exemplified the, the need for something like this. And it was already in the works before this match fiasco happened this year because we could already see where it was going and anticipate. And as Alexis hinted at earlier, it is not the first time that we've experimented in the application process in emergency medicine, looked at the data and said, maybe this isn't working or maybe this is as the VSI for those who were participating in this process a few years ago had its moment in the sun and now is gone. But I'm actually more hopeful that this will help because it seems to be one of those things that will balance it. As someone who advises students, like those top 10, top third students, I never worry about. They're going to get their interviews. They're going to hit their 12. And honestly, sometimes even those lower quartile students, I am a little less worried about them because those are the ones who are coming and talking to me and getting that advising meeting. We've sat and gone over the where they should apply and and they were so strategic about it. It's that middle third donut that I'm always so worried about because they could hit their reach programs, but they could bottom in. It all depends. And I'm hopeful that this system is really going to help balance it out for those students because now they get a chance to kind of flag it. Yeah, you make an excellent point, Brian, about all of this is that for any med students that are EM bound, there is a mentor that is at your facility or at another local place and or reach out to any single one of us. We want to hear from you. We want to help answer your questions. You do not have to be alone in this and we're all working on it together. So please feel free and and specifically do this now. Reach out to mentors that can help you in this process because that's what we are here for. And I guess specifically within on the mentorship end, you know, what's the strategy? The students have five tokens. What are we recommending? And this is going to be all over the board based on the data. And for anyone who's logged in for any of the those sessions or any of the upcoming ones, this will be talked about with the numbers. But what are you guys going to recommend? I can start. So to be clear, we don't have any data on really how we should be advising. We know how applicants have used their signals with the Aerosup app this past year. And there is certainly a mix of people who did just safety programs, just reach programs, a mix of both. About 70% of applicants in IM, GenSurge, and Derm did choose programs that they were truly interested in though. And I think one consistent piece of advice is choose programs that you're actually really interested in. Like don't choose like five safeties just because you think it's going to make your chances better of matching if you're not actually really interested in those programs. So first and foremost, think about where you actually want to be. So what I'm going to advise my students is like come up with a top 10 list, top 10 places that you would really love to be at. And then you can start taking things off of your list by looking at the resident profiles of individuals who are at those programs already. So by no means am I saying like, if you don't 100% hit that average USMLE score, like take that off your list. No, I'm not saying that, but just be sort of reasonable that if like, 
five of the 10 programs have, you know, average scores of 240 and you have a 205, maybe you should only choose one or two of those programs and not choose all of those programs, especially if there are more reasonable ones on your list that you are really super interested in as well. So take a look at Emra Match, take a look at the the various resources, Texas Star, etc., of what current residents look like in those programs as far as statistics go. Another thing is like, do they take Comlex scores? Do they take visas? Like those kinds of things. And make sure that you're actually fitting into what a program is going to consider. Because if they say, sorry, we don't accept visas, like it doesn't matter if you signal them or not, right? Like that's going to be a waste of a signal. So try to whittle it down from there. And then at the end of the day, you're just going to have to go with your gut, but just go with your truth and what you want. That's the one consistent message. Go with where you would truly be happy, hopefully. And from what I understand, there's no drawback to actually signal. So my also recommendation would be to use all five of them up. Would you agree with that? Yes, 100%. It's only to your advantage to use them. And can you explain to me, this might be, other people might have the same question. When do you send the signal? So to be clear, when an applicant logs into ERAS and they add either a program or a specialty that is participating in program signaling, they will then get an email from ERAS to then go to another program. So they'll get a personalized link that brings them to another program where they fill out the ERASUP app. And for the EM applicants, the only part of the ERASUP app that will be available for them to fill out is the program signaling. So then they'll put in their five programs from there and they can finalize, submit it. So you can go into that separate website as much as you want up until the deadline. But as soon as you hit the actual finalize submit button, your choices are sealed. So Alexis, I'm a medical student. I've been listening to this segment. What are the take-homes that I should have ending the episode? Take-homes are this is a program that is designed to help you. It's only to your advantage to actually use all five signals. And I would advise you to use them at places you're truly interested in. If you have more than five that you're truly interested in, try to take a look at program websites at Emra Match, at Texas Star, other resources you have available to you to see if there are particular programs that meet your profile or that closely match your profile where you would have a good chance of matching there. As far as the actual application itself, you will receive an email from ARAS after you either apply to emergency medicine or a program that is participating in SUPAP to then go to a separate individualized link to put in your choices. And so those emails will start going out on August 1st. They are due by September 16th. Well, you can go in and edit it and save it as much as you want. After you hit the actual submit button and finalize that list, you cannot go back and change it. So make sure you are sure of the five programs when you hit the submit button. Any other thoughts from Minnell, Brian, or Christy? I think just make sure that you are really being honest with yourself and finding places that you'd want to spend the next three or four years of your life and honing in on those. I've seen a lot of medical students trying to find a loophole or a wormhole through this whole process, and it just becomes more chaotic and more likely that you're not going to be happy where you end up. 
So really do some soul searching before you submit that list and make sure you're happy with the list that you have. The other thing I would say is that different than a lot of other specialties, emergency medicine has great training at every single program in this country. And this is the chance for you to pick the place where you find your match and you find your people. And we really mean it. We're not lying to you. This is your chance to find a place where you're going to shine. Yeah, I would just say this is here to help you. Don't worry. Don't freak out. Do not try and find that game. Talk to your advisors. If your advisors aren't comfortable yet, reach out to any of us. We all have social media that you can get in contact with us and email. There's plenty of people who can help you kind of work through this process and help you out. These are just designed to help This isn't your final decision for where you're going to match and your final rank list. This won't be used by programs for determining your rank list. This is just to help figuring out who might be more interested when it comes to getting an application as a little bit of a tiebreaker. Thank you, Brian, for bringing that up, because I think that is a question that comes up frequently. Will there be a post interview round of signals. No, there's not. It's only designed for early on in the process to help identify those matches early on. After that, the process is the same. You will interview. Programs will see if you're a good match. You will see if you're a good match. We totally expect that preferences will change. And that's why programs have to sign a code of conduct that says it will not be used in the ranking process. It is only going to be used to help decide who to give interviews. So don't stress that you're not exactly sure where you want to end up or that it forces you to choose things too early in the process. It's really just designed to help implement and hopefully help people find each other a little bit sooner. And if your preferences change, that's totally okay. Well, Alexis, Mino, Brian, and Christy, I appreciate the four of you all hopping on for this session. And I know the medical students listening to it have been very thankful for your knowledge. And if you're a medical student, don't forget to check out one of our other upcoming Med Student Over Easy episodes where you can get more tips from educators from around the country. Well, you made it all the way to the end of another Med Student Over Easy podcast. Do not forget, we are the official podcast of the American College of Osteopathic Emergency Physicians. To learn more about this great organization and how you can get involved, head on over to acop.org today. Mm-hmm.